Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. I knew what I was going to do was going to be very special with my life. I'm an example just to show people that like, you come up from nothing. Prince had dedicated his whole legacy to celebrating women, celebrating women of color, and celebrating positive music. I'm going to uphold that. You're your own worst critic. I feel like you should be it anyways, but I, I'm always that, and I was just hating my song, so I was hating myself. Some people are at their cubicle job right now making way less than us. Some people are across the world in a goddamn sweatshop making, like, nothing a day, and we're getting paid to sing and dance. To sing and da- that's a blessing. Artists out here, they're just willing to settle for anything. You know what I mean? And once you're willing to settle for anything, you deserve anything you settle for. Yo, this young murder. Yo, this is Lizzo. This is August Regal. What's good? It's Kehlani. This is your man, Blake Carrington. You're listening to The Come Up Show. Get inspired. Hey, welcome to The Come Up Show podcast. My name is Chetta. I'm the host and founder of The Come Up Show. And my guest today is Adam Baum. He's one-third of the Juno Award-winning group Naturally Born Strangers. He's also part of the super group The Freedom Riders. And he's listed as one of the top greatest Canadian rappers ever by CMC Music. Adam's been part of the groups for most of his career, and he's finally releasing his first original solo project titled Live from Larstone, produced by Big Sprox. This is one of those podcasts, you know, if you've, been a li- regular listener to the Come Up Show podcast. We go through the Toronto rap history. Adam lets us know how he got introduced to hip hop. He shares stories about coming up as an MC through battles and fighting with the Empire Collective, working with Noah Forty Shabib, aka Bibber, as Adam calls him, who's currently Drake's producer. And we went through that night, and I was there that night when Adam Bomb won a Juno Award for Rap Recording of the Year as Naturally Born Strangers, a great story. And we bring it back to present day from live from Larstone. Adam Baum on the Come Up Show podcast. Let's go! Please introduce yourself. What's going on? This is the legend Adam Baum representing Toronto, Canada. Don't assume I can't do it if I haven't yet. I was the man before a plan was set Now I hold the crown just to count on how the ransom get Don't sweat it though, I let it go when my demands are met Sprock said it's time to go for it So I guess it's time to go for it Never seem to find a peace of mind, but I hope for it I roam the globe for it, but I resign before my soul gets so for it Sorry I didn't mean to I'd rather disappear than deceive you I'd rather not be seen than be seen through. I pray your love doesn't leave me like my dreams do. What's good, Adam Baum? Welcome on the Come Up Show podcast, man. Beautiful to be here. Thanks for having me. I'm happy to have you here, too. So you have a new record coming out with Big Sprocks uh, titled Live from Larstone. That's it. Live from Larstone. All produced by the man Big Sprocks. How, how are you feeling? What is the energy that you're feeling right now? This is beautiful, man. Honestly, this is the, the actual first album. I know people might say, well, I have something else of you that's you know a full album, but that's not a real album that was never put together properly. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's real nice to actually finally do it at my ripe old age. So, you know, it's a beautiful, beautiful opportunity, and uh, I'm actually really happy with it. It's not something I usually am. I'm usually real negative most of the time about things, and uh, I'm happy with it. I'm really happy with it, so I'm excited for other people to get it. You're, what do you mean you're negative most time? Oh. Think? When you put music together, how can you be negative? No, yeah, I'm yeah. usually the guy in the room that says, ah, yeah. you know what, it may, yeah. it may not go where we think it will, or I hope nobody listens to track four and eight because it's not the strongest, but honestly, anybody who hears anything on that, I, I stand behind it 100 
hundred percent. It's a good project, mm-hmm. solid project, and uh, yeah, it's 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 a great opportunity to finally do a solo project. Anything that everybody's heard you on, I think most people are like, "Yo, from naturally born strangers to freedom riders." Mm-hmm. There, I, I don't think there's been a lot of criticisms like, "Yo, this is whack." Like, no, I know, but it's uh, <laughs> it, that might be the the main thing is because they always know me as a guy who just pops in for a sixteen here and there uh, to hear a whole album of me. A, they don't know how that's going to be. I didn't know how that was going to be, so that's the reason why it took so long to finally do a solo album. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, when I finally started getting into the groove of it, um, it's something I should have probably did a long time ago. But it's it's yeah. nice to have it finally finished, and uh, can't wait till the world gets it. So you consider this the first original solo project? You don't count Wasted Talent. No, Wasted Talent yeah. was just a compilation that uh, we had to kind of put together uh, for the purposes of a grant that we got. So uh, you know, we had all songs that we recorded throughout the years, and we just kind of put them out together. But it wasn't like cohesively put together. You know, we didn't think about how it was supposed to be heard by a listener. Um, it wasn't. Uh, it wasn't. It was basically just a compilation and uh you know i'm glad people like it if they do like it if they hate it that's the reason why you don't like it i guess Mm -hmm. but uh no this is going to be the first one that you can actually you know rate me on as far as putting on a uh, putting out a project putting on an album and uh yeah it's i think it was like 15 songs on it or something like that and uh some of those are skits but it's it's definitely something i'm proud of so what's that like in terms of pressure now that this is your you're a Juno Award winner, you're all on all these critical acclaimed groups and uh, been part of collectives, but this is your first. Do you feel like uh, you can either feel like nervous, yo, how are people going to uh, rate me? Or you could be like, yo, I've had an unfair advantage because I've released so much music <laughs> part of people and I'm ready now. You know what? It's, yeah. It was it started like that. It was almost like a, a roller coaster. And I hit this this peak of nerves where I was almost like and that's the peak that I always hit throughout the years and years of me making music where I was like, ah, you know what? I'm not ready for people to hear you know, whole album of what I got to say. I don't feel it's, you know, it's strong enough. I can't compete with what other solo artists do. So I'll just stay in a group. And it was just a safety net. And then uh, I got to that, to that peak where I was like, you know what, I'm just going to, you know, hit, hit this level of peace where I was just like, I'm fine with whatever people think of it. And as soon as I hit that, the music started coming together better and better. And now I can actually feel like whatever I do, even after this project is going to be more solid. And uh, I'm at just a level where I don't care one way or the other, if people don't like it or not, I'm just at peace with what I do. Mm -hmm. And uh, you know, if you feel it cool, I hope you do, but if you don't, I'm still good. I'm happy with what I do. So you were saying before you were comfortable in your you're in your comfort zone, mm-hmm. which is a real thing. Which is yo, this is familiar. I know this. I I can handle this. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then you're saying like when you didn't care anymore. When you didn't. Yeah, that's that's exactly what it was. Because yeah. you know, first of all, yeah, I was I came in from a group uh, a group perspective where I was always uh, in a, a group with either a large amount of people or even as small as just me, Rich and Tona for strangers. And uh, even in that, it's a nice little. You know, it's it's easy to fall back on. It's real comfortable to just say, "Hey, I don't, you only need me one third of this 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 project. I can just do my best part. As long as you guys do your best, we're gonna have a good project." But uh, this one, you know, just to have that pressure on your shoulders, I guess that's what everyone experiences when they put out their first album. They have to feel like, "Hey." Do you care about me saying something for 15 full songs? Can you listen to my voice for 15 full songs? Uh, who do I pick for features? There's a lot of ideas that you come with, and then when it's all done, how does it stack up to the albums that you've been trashing for years? You know, it's easy to sit back as a critic and say, ah, you know, his album's garbage, or my album would be way better than this guy's album. But until you actually put together a project, you can't be rated. So you are the best out- artist in the world until you actually 
compete with those people. So now I'm actually at a point where I don't care if I, it does compete or not. So that's kind of like that level of peace that I'm on. But uh, I know it was easier just to stay in the group level. But uh, now that I have a full project, I can't wait to get back in that scenario again and do it again. Mm, so what is the dynamic like from, from going from a group uh, to solo? Um, oh, it's it's. I mean, I bounce off energy. Like I, I, f- I feed off of fresh blood. I, f- I love collaborating with people, whether it's people I've worked with for years, like Tona, or if it's new people. Um, I love just being inspired like that. That's what keeps me on my toes. If the, you know, if if you left me in a jail cell or in a room for a year and a half, I probably would never write. Because unless I have somebody that just makes me want to write or do as good as them, if you put me in a, on a song with three other guys, I know I have to be as good as those three other guys. So that's what kind of keeps me writing at a high level when it's just me competing with myself you know it's very easy to slack or it's very easy to say ah you know what i'll pick the i'll pick it up in the third verse the second one let's just finish it to get it done today and when you do that sort of writing you know it brings down your your level of quality and i notice that i'm i'm very uh critical of my stuff so as i'm writing it if i feel like it's trash or i feel like it was something it's nothing that i would put on something with someone else i'll throw it away which is why it took so long to even put out an album in the first place mm-hmm. so uh yeah it's definitely a huge difference between group sessions and solo sessions too and your uh, your creative process I, I think for a while you were just uh you weren't writing stuff down on pen and paper or on your phone you were doing it from your head can you tell us about that and now you yeah back sure. pen and paper when i first yeah. first came out i had a, a group of guys that i was working with called empire and we were uh we'd all sit in sessions and we'd sit there from three in the morning till three in the morning the next day and we would just write and the beat would loop and i'd have a piece of paper and a pen and i'd get wasted and i'd sit there and write and then the verse would come out and whatever it was it was good then uh as that kind of changed it was doing things like where i would jot it down in the morning because it was a good idea then I go about my day and come back and then finish it off whenever I could. And then throughout the day, I would just come up with those ideas and write them down on whatever I have. After that, I just end up saying, I can't, I don't have time to just write them down. So I just got to start memorizing them. So I would just write while I walked. And I, 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 my, there's a line I think Eminem said, like, my mind don't work if my spine don't jerk. And that's really something that I always kind of live by. Cause if I sit in this chair right now, I would probably write the worst verse you've ever heard. But if you let me stroll around the lobby for about 20 minutes, it might be one of my better ones. I have to keep moving. And if I'm not moving, then uh, I won't write anything. So if I'm sitting down now with a paper, it doesn't come out as good. So I spent years just writing and walking, and that's what I crafted it. And it wasn't until recently I went out to a trip to L.A. where I said, you know what, I'm going to try writing on a pa- on a pad uh, with a pen again and it actually came out better than that stuff so now I'm 50-50 sometimes I write you know in my head and other times I write on the pad and uh, yeah, I'm trying to see what's the better method so mm-hmm. yeah I'm testing it that's dope so let's take it all the way back from the sure. beginning wow where are you from in Toronto like um, my- is it, <laughs> so obviously this project is called Live from Larstone is that where you grew up or is it even earlier than that no Larstone yeah. Larstone yeah. is actually Sprox's studio so it's okay. live from Sprox's studio okay. and uh, that's kind of where uh, we all connect there but uh, my original stomping grounds I'm from uh, Christie Pitts so just off of Bloor and Christie uh, that's my original neighborhood that I grew up in I uh, spent like well, like 20 years in that area uh, moved out for a little bit and then came back recently and then uh, yeah just reconnected with all my old guys out there so uh, yeah um, Melville Avenue is pretty much my, my original stomping grounds as far as uh you know where all my guys are from and uh that's just the wildest <laughs> the wildest area full of crazy characters so if you if you grew up there you'd have a ton of things to say too so that's that's my original spot well take us what it's like to grow up there first of all in your household do you have siblings is your mom's or like what is that like what's yeah know? so yeah. um i'm a real uh, i guess blue collar kind of 
uh, product. So my, my mom was a, a teacher. She's retired now. Um, my father worked with his hands. He used to fix uh, washing machines, and he just retired too. So they're real like, uh, you know, check-to-check kind of stuff. But he worked the same um, same job for 40 years. So I think that's where I get a lot of my determination and hustle from. And I'll stick with something all the way to the end just because, you know, that's kind of where I come from. I got an older brother and a younger sister. Uh, and I'm dead set right in the middle. We're three years apart each. And my sister and my mother are very similar. My father and my brother are very similar. And that kind of leaves me out. So that's kind of where I think music, if I just kind of diagnose myself, I think that's where the music comes from, is that, you know, that was the one thing. And the streets, actually, that's where Melville Avenue kind of picked me up. I was kind of raised by the neighborhood because while I was out there, everybody else in my family was kind of connecting. So I was just kind of picked up there, and, and the music spoke to me more than anything. So mm-hmm. that's that's my original area. That's, that's my household life, too. And who brought music into your life? Because you were drawing, like, covers... Yeah. album covers of Public Enemy and Two Live Crew and yeah. stuff like that and like who brought that into your life so my brother used to bring me so I have an older cousin and uh, my old cousin lives, uh, lives up in the Marley buildings and uh, you know he's uh, maybe five years older than me so you know as a kid I'm 13 years old at the time something like that or maybe even eight or nine and then uh, they would just leave me in the house and him and my brother would take off and they would leave me with those those covers and you know all I could do at the time was draw I loved doing it so I would sit there and doodle stuff so they would give me whatever I could find I found public enemy tapes because I loved driving Flavor Flav and then I would put in the tapes and as I was listening to them I was just like yo this is crazy first of all if you're a kid and you hear swearing on a tape that's the greatest thing you could ever hear first time you hear swearing you're like this is insane I love this so I mean, I dug Public Enemy just so happened to be the tape I was listening to because I was drawing Flavor Flav and that caught my ear. I remember studying Don't Believe the Hype. I knew every lyric to it, you know, the first time I listened to it because I listened to it that many times in a row. So uh, I love Flavor Flav, love Public Enemy. And then the next tape that I drew just happened to be the tape right underneath, which was Two Live Crew, Nasty As They Want to Be, which is the weirdest dynamic. If you've ever listened to Public Enemy and you know Two Live Crew, that's the weirdest rainbow, which actually explains a lot of how my mind works. So I'm dead set in that middle where you know i can get as intelligent as you want on a record i can you know bring it to you almost in a uh an essay version and i can get as stupid as you want me to and if you want to talk about partying and drinking until we barf on each other i can bring it there too so honestly it's just from those two albums and then everything falls in between you know i love cypress hill growing up uh you know things like even kid and play was i love big daddy kane and rakim and yeah i can go on i love maestro growing up so you know what i mean mm-hmm. all of those were cassette tapes that were from his house so if it wasn't from mike um, that was my cousin. He was the guy who kind of left me those tapes. I probably would have never stumbled into that. You know what I mean? My family's very musical. Um, like, they love Motown. They love uh, rock music. They love anything from that era. Um, and uh, I always grew up listening to records. I always loved listening to music. But I was never interested in any uh, anything to do with rap until it was just thrown at, thrown at me from my cousin. Hmm. If you're like most people, the first thing you do when you wake up, you grab your cell phone and you check your social media apps. Include the Come Up Show part of that routine by following us on Instagram. It's where you see original pictures of your favorite artists, inspirational wisdom from our interviews, commentary on what's happening in the culture, contest, and so much more. Follow us on Instagram right now at The Come Up Show.
so what are your like were you able to listen to rap in your house especially with swearing as a 13 year old kid with your yeah. parents I'm, I'm assuming like I said yeah, they were yeah. they were all clicked up my mom yeah. and my sister together my brother and my, my father were together they didn't know what the hell I was listening to until it was way too late so yeah. I was already on to like my fourth public enemy album by then and they didn't know what the hell I was listening to but uh, uh, I remember one time it was messed up <laughs> we were all listening to uh, Tim Dog I don't know if you've ever done this before you ever get wrecked out of your head and listen to music and watch television and hope that the words on the songs connect with the guy and you keep the TV on mute and see if the mouth moves with the lyrics so we were listening to Tim Dog which if you know Tim Dog is just like a super vulgar guy and we're watching it with George Bush the original George Bush uh, doing a speech and I remember like I think my folks came in and <laughs> we were watching it and they were like what the hell are you doing and we were just listening to himself and telling him can you swear on this Compton? yeah yeah, oh, yeah. Sure. so he was doing fuck Compton and yeah. we were just dying laughing it was hilarious man yeah but anyhow that's I think one of the first times they found me listening to shit I shouldn't and I think a lot of Cypress too mm-hmm so how did that lead into you know being an avid fan and to being involved I guess and a part of the culture. You know what's funny yeah. about that? A lot of people, um, you know, a lot of people would say like, you know, I heard uh, Paid in Full and it was so inspiring me that I wanted to rhyme. It was guys that I thought were trash that I, not like trash, but I was like, oh, okay, this is easy. I can do this. It wasn't Rakim. Like guys like Rakim made me never want to rap. Chuck D made me never want to rap because I was like, I'll never do that. It wasn't until I heard stuff like Hammer or stuff as easy as, let's say, Kid and Play or, uh, you know, just the simple and even like Luke and them doing Two Live Crew and I was just like, hey man, if you know, I can do that. I could put these words together. And I started even writing rhymes for kids in my school because they were rhyming. And this is like when I'm in grade eight, grade eight, seven and eight, and I knew I shouldn't be the guy doing this. I kind of had this thing in the back of my head. I'll write them and you say them. So I'd write these little one, two lines and I'd give it to them and they'd write them and whatever. So yeah. Um, that's kind of where it first first started and but i kept it to myself so me and whoever the the kids were in my school that's the only people that really knew i wasn't trying to do nothing mm-hmm. and the, but the uh, funny thing is like mc hammer at that time wasn't like was kind of like hated by the real hip-hop yeah. fans right he was a joke right? like at that time yeah and i yeah. mean it wasn't like yeah. i couldn't tell it's not like i could tell yeah. as a, a 10 year old 12 year old or i don't know what you are in grade eight what are you 14 whatever yeah. it is 13 14. i'm not good at yeah. numbers yeah. but yeah, yeah. I, whatever it is there i couldn't tell at that time that he was whack mm-hmm. i just knew that okay i can do what he's doing like it made sense to me i listened to the whole i own that album because i thought it was the hottest thing because of things like can't touch this so it's not like i was too cool for it back then i didn't know what i was listening to but i felt like okay if he can do this i can do this so i am basically inspired by mc, MC Hammer. Hammer. so there you go kids we have the headline for this interview <laughs> that's that's the clickbait <laughs> that's a clickbait right now <laughs> Oh, that's hilarious. Uh, so you're writing lines. You're basically writing lines for your friends, but you didn't want to know. It was just amongst your friends. Yeah. And when did uh, people start recognizing the talent in you or you took it to the next level? It wasn't until it was people in my own neighborhood that started rhyming. So like, uh, as I was always thinking in my own head, okay, yeah, I freestyled myself. I'd write to myself. I'd already had a couple like terrible verses already put away. And then it wasn't until we would throw house parties every year. So like I said, my mom was a, a teacher so when they have uh, March break that's the only time off a year other than the summertime that they could really get off so every March break my mom would make my father take her away somewhere on vacation anywhere for a week so we always had the house open for a week and that week we would just empty out my house take all the furniture out move it to my neighbor's house and we would throw house parties there keg parties and just like insane parties and then you know what happens at those parties when you're like 14 or whatever 15 people are drinking whatever it is Mike's Hard Lemonade or whatever you drink as a kid Jungle Juice Smirnoff Smirnoff all yeah. those terrible things that give you migraines yeah. but then uh um yeah and we'd had this little karaoke machine and uh it just so happened that the karaoke machine you could record on it if you plug the headphones into the mic 
input so we actually started doing that and we would just find all these instrumental single cds that had just the beats playing and i thought okay you know this is cool for me because i know i like this but who else in my neighborhood really cares about this and it just so happened my guy who lives up the street from me was uh toxic and he rhymed and he was way better than i was and toxic was my really one of the first guys and my boy joker and they just started rhyming i was like wow i didn't know other guys in my neighborhood knew how to do this and from then it was just boom i just started as that's all i lived for i just wanted to rhyme all the time mm-hmm. i'm so Toxic uh, is part of uh, Empire, is yeah. that correct? So yeah, well, okay. originally it was yeah. just the three of us to go way, way back. This is like 95, 94, 95. So mm-hmm. um, yeah, this was just us just clicking up freestyling or whatever. And you know, uh, you know, in your neighborhood, you'll have like 48 guys freestyling together. And then year after year, a few of them will drop off and say, hey, I'm not doing this anymore. This is a waste of my time. But the guys who kind of continue to do it was us three. And then so uh, you toxic and who else? and my boy Joker Joker and so okay. Joe Joe Keezy, uh Kizzle so those three of us uh, were really the guys from the neighborhood that kind of uh, just continued with it and you know we weren't anything crazy special but Toxic was really good I was all right Toxic was the guy though and then uh, that turned into battling so me and Toxic just started getting into these battles where we would just go around to parks and, and freestyle and battle and all that stuff and then um, one of the things in my neighborhood there's like this rec center there. And this is, I don't know how detailed you want me to get into this story, but... Go in, just go in. <laughs> so uh, this rec center, we used to battle at the park behind that. And uh, one of the guys that worked there, I think he only worked there because it was community service, but he came out one day and he saw us and he was like, yo, you're nice with it. I started hanging with him and he wanted to put me on to other guys that he knew. So that guy's name's Craven, Craven Moorhead, uh, dirty ass gringo. So Craven is the real responsible guy for me doing anything in my I guess career, quote unquote career. Like he's the reason why anything ever happened. Craven said, let's go to Regent Park and I want you to introduce you to these guys. So I was like, okay, I'm down. I'm like, I don't know, 14, 15 years old. Um, I've been to Regent once before and the first time I was there was gunshots all night long. So I'm like, all right, I'll do it. Let's go back there. And I went there and as uh, soon as I showed up, I'd never seen nothing like this. So my, his boy, answer, his brother answers the door and then I walk in the, into the apartment and I mean, as big as this room here, that was the whole place. Not that I come from a big place, but, you know, that's the difference. And then on top of that, everything in there was records. Everything in there was a tape or a record or music. And I was like, I never met somebody that was so in love with music on this level. And it just hit me and said, yo, this is where I got to be. Whatever they want me to do, I'm going to do. And they just, he just looked over his shoulder and he's like, this is the guy? All right. And he handed me a microphone. And just let, and he was playing on his turntables, and he just ran instrumental after instrumental, and I must have rhymed for maybe, I don't know, six hours straight, and we have it all on cassette, and it's horrible, and that ended up being uh, DJ Shortcut, DJ Shortcut, yeah, and uh, yep. Bandit is his brother, and uh, Soundwave is his, is his brother, so yeah, that and that, so now it's me, Toxic, Craven, Joker, Shortcut, and Bandit. That became the Empire. So mm-hmm. it was actually uh, Soundwave and, and, and Shortcut that say, yo, we want to come up with this idea where we put together all the best MCs, all the best DJs, all the best breakdancers, graffiti artists, anything you can find talent-wise in this city. And they love Star Wars. So they said, we're going to call it the Empire. Just go out there and find your guys. So that's originally the original Empire was that. And then that's kind of how that all started. You know what I mean? So, and then it got out of hand after that. <laughs> so, uh, was that DJ Shortcut's home or? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Okay. Shortcut's apartment. It was yeah. just all like his mattress was on crates of records. It was just his bed and records. And I mean, what the illest thing was, was is I could say like, yo, do you have whatever it was? I could be like cannabis, second round knockout. And within two seconds, he'd be like, she lifts his mattress and doom, it was in. And like, yeah, he's, he was insane. And like what he did 
to even get more into detail is, and this is something that really honed my craft is I thought I knew everything that was out at the time because I was listening to anything that was presented to me. So if an album came out, I'd go to like Music World or whatever it was and I'd find the album. But that I didn't realize was only commercially released stuff. Shortcut really introduced me to the underground. And like, you know, as much as I liked, like, let's say people like, I don't even know what to even say at that at that era. So like this is around 97, 98. So, you know, I was listening to Cannabis and I was listening to Big Pun and I thought that was as gritty or as, you know, unknown as it got. And uh, as I was listening to that stuff and it was kind of making me better and better, he put me onto the whole Rockets movement. He showed me Eminem at that time and I was like, oh, okay, cool. And I was listening to Em at like 1996 and I was like, oh, okay, cool. And he showed me these mixtapes. So he was the first guy to start really bringing me out to concerts and stuff. And I saw like the Arsonist live and I saw, I went to all the Illuminals. I was 14, 15 year olds in clubs just because I was just surrounded by that stuff and I couldn't get Were you music carrying in. his crates? No, oh, like okay. when he owned, he wasn't yeah. even DJ. I think yeah. for one of the shows, we went to a Pheromont show and he DJed it and we okay. ended up taking home all the Pheromont's DJ's crates home with us. So yeah, that's one of the, the parties <laughs> where I carried the crates. But yeah, that, those were crate carrying days, man. But yeah, that, that's originally how it started and I was just fascinated by music, man. Mm-hmm. So, uh, uh, so the first project that Empire released was what? Run Amok? The intro? So, yeah to, yeah, to to jump there. So what happened was, um, so that's the original crew or of are Empire. We, are we missing anything in between that time? No, no, well, yeah, okay. just, a, just, a little, just a little gap. So yeah, this yeah. is where the other, where the two sides connect. So okay. like I said, he's bringing me around to shows and stuff, and he's showing me the scene. And now I start to get into the Toronto scene. I mean, like guys like Abdominal and Double Soul. And uh, I met Maestro back then, but he didn't know who I was and, and things like that. And I started to dig into the crates of Toronto history. So, you know, I got heavily involved in that. And then um, one of the things he put me onto was Eat the Beat, which was 88.1 DJX. And he's like, yo, you got to rhyme on this show. This is a good way to get your name out. And honestly, that was one of my first goals I wanted to do. I just wanted to be known in my neighborhood. And I wanted people in my neighborhood to be like, yo, you know who that guy is? He was on the radio. That was pretty much and all what I was your do. name back then? Uh, yes. It was terrible. Tell it's, me. It's tell terrible. Me. It's ter- no, my name was always Adam Bomb, even from when I was writing for those guys. But I remember even as a kid. Trust me, we've had horrible rap names back then. <laughs> you got to tell us what it is. I was not- on the spot. So what it was was yeah. uh, DJX was like, what's your name? And I didn't want to say Adam Bomb because if I was terrible at it, I didn't want want people to be like yo this guy sucks and i was gonna be done from then so i made up one on the spot it was the worst it was uh, cadabra was the worst name K- what cadabra so it was cadabra. like Shorvalet. i was just like i don't know like why Abra-cabdabra. i said it. It terrible uh, okay. terrible and not that it's amazing bad. but it's bad bro it's, it's bad. not that bad man and then anyhow so i did i did end up going on eat the beat and i won like nine weeks in a row or ten weeks in a row and uh then i got all my shirts from platinum world those times so like if you're a toronto guy you know what the hell that was about so i was on uh eat the beat all the time so then eat the beat did like this live freestyle thing at uh hmv on young street and because they did this live event there they brought non-fiction who performed the night before and i was at that show and i was like oh if they're gonna be there i'm just gonna go down there so i went down there to see them on the saturday which was the uh the when uh, the power move was on 88.1 i went down there and they started having this session and i'm not gonna jump in because you know whatever even though if i have a whatever little reputation i did i knew that those were professional guys doing their thing so as nonfiction's rhyming on the mic, they're freestyling. I see these two guys run downstairs. Two black guys just snatched the mic away from these guys and just started eating it. I never even like they even did it better than nonfiction did. And I was like, yo, who the hell is this? Are these guys also from New York? And then I was like, yo, forget I didn't I didn't jump in yet. As soon as I heard one of them say the word Scarborough, I was like, this is local. I'm jumping in on this. So I took the mic from them. And we all end up rhyming together. And then uh 
we just said peace and that was it. About maybe six months later, I see those same two guys at an after hours and they were like, yo, uh, you know, uh, I was like, Where, where's your boy, the guy that was there that night? And he points him out and that ends up being Scandalous and Tech. So Scandalous and Tech, man, are the first guys that bridge, you know, Empire that I know of to the new era of Empire at the time. The next day was... Uh, was uh, Chin Festival over at the exhibition. This is a super Toronto-themed podcast right now. I'm sorry, anybody who's listening to this no, is not from good. Toronto. I was like, I don't know any of the Most of the listeners come about. from Toronto anyways. Okay, yeah. what up, Toronto? Yeah. So he brings us down to the Chin Picnic. He goes, yo, I know a whole bunch of guys that are going down there to rhyme, and uh, you should come down there. And at the time, because of the years of battling I was doing with Toxic, I used to always walk with a stereo. That's how crazy I was about music. I used like to walk a with box. a bag, yeah, a yeah. boombox, full of tapes, full of cassette tapes, all instrumentals because of short cut so i had all instrumental tapes in my bag and i would walk with the boom box and a bunch of batteries and we walked the exhibition grounds and there must have been 300 guys out there and there was a cypher every two feet and what we did was it was literally i don't know how it just happened but we just said anybody who was as nice as us it was you can't beat them join them kind of thing and we said you're with us so scandals went one way with tech and me and toxic went the other way and we just started battling in sessions anyone that was trash we kind of just dismissed them and said you're not good enough anyone that was good you're like what's your name come with me and then at the end of that it ended up being scandalous tech me toxic joker craven uh, Bandit Shortcut Trey the Rhyme Animal Was one of the guys Who was the nicest guys Out there TRA TRA mm-hmm. And then uh, He introduced us To Pill that day Who ended up being Our producer From there uh, We just started Battling That's all it was We were just getting Each other's face uh, Other people's faces We were starting fights Just all sorts of nonsense It was just like Every day was either A fight or a battle Or both And it was just I'd never met that many people that were interested in music on that level. And uh, I was introducing them into all the stuff that Shortcut showed me. So, as you know, now it's about 2000, 2000, I would say. That's when Run Amok came around. So, Shortcut, or I'm sorry. So, Tech Man was always hitting me up like, yo, there's this guy that wants to make beats for us. And we're like, we got Pill. Pill was our producer. Like, I don't need anybody else. And he's like, no, this kid's sick. He's sick. You got to go buy a studio. So, we buy the studio, and it ended up being. Shabib, Noah Shabib, 40. And Bibber was what we always called him. Bibber? Bibber is, okay. yeah. If you ever hear Bibber, that's 40. That's Noah. That's that's the man out there. So he ended up, you know, chefing up the run amok thing on the first session we met with him. He ended up making all the beats and we did the whole album, whatever it was, the, the intro album. And that was the real start of Empire. So now we actually had a product to put out and we would go there and it was terrible, but it was us doing our best. And, you know, that's kind of the history of Empire. And that's, that's where it came to be. Mm. Yeah. So that was a long answer, but that's what that is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, and for the people, Shabib, 40s, Drake's uh, engineer, producer, so on and so forth. So he his roots were started then. Like, he was like a real hip-hop, like underground Oh, lover. 100%. And what's crazy, though, is yeah. he was, uh, like, since then, I've probably worked in with maybe like 50 or 60 different engineers. Even back then, he's been the fastest engineer I've ever worked with. Like, I can't call him 40. I call him Bibber. So... Anytime you're in a session with Bibber, you could say one, two, three on the mic. First of all, he'll take that and make it way better automatically. And then if you had an idea in your head, it wouldn't take more than a half a sentence before he got and understood what you did. So just to say this, if there's anybody that deserves the success that they get, it's a guy like that. Like he knew what he was doing from the jump. He was into it from the jump. And yeah, he's just amazing at what he does. So you can imagine how insane that is to start your career with a guy as talented as that. 
and then not to be able to ever hit that level again is crazy because like the first guy you ever work with is like that's like having Michael Jordan as the first guy you ever play ball with you know what I mean Mm -hmm. so I just been kind of blessed from the jump so yeah that's how that's how Empire all came together and uh, that's how we got in with Bibber and yeah that's it does he still like you calling him Bibber? Yeah, or he no? know he know yeah. anybody that's from the original era. If you call him Bibber, then he knows what area you're from. Yeah, so for sure, if you if you if you see him in the mall, just go Bibber, and he'll turn around. He'll think you're one of us. If you're listening to this, you're most likely subscribed to the Come Up Show podcast. But if you're not, we're available on all platforms: SoundCloud, iTunes, Google Play, TuneIn, Stitcher Radio, or many more. If you have an iPhone, iPad, Mac computer, I'd really love and appreciate your rating and review of the Come Up Show podcast. It'll make a huge difference in the visibility of the podcast, which means more listeners and securing high-quality guests. Be a part of the growth of the Come Up Show podcast and give your boy a five-star rating and review. This is one of the biggest things you could do for the Come Up Show and it only takes a second. Click the link in the description below. Rate and review the Come Up Show podcast. I truly appreciate it. Uh, so that was released and according uh, I getting these dates from your band camp, I, was, I don't know if it's accurate, uh, Run Amok, uh, January 25th, 2002. Does that sound that, accurate? Yeah, yeah that, that sounds right. Yeah. Okay. So 2000 was all the fights and then 2001, yeah, 2002 was, was Run Amok. Yeah. Run Amok. Okay. Yeah. So uh, I, I, what happened after that? Is it the big next big thing is the next album or anything any after the first thing that you guys released was there any type of impact or no it was just starting to get your stuff well out. at that yeah. time scandalous was doing a, hun- a ton of battles so he was getting his name out there in the streets that way uh trey was in and out of jail i think at those times so we were kind of holding it down as much as possible and then uh we ended up uh, putting together this next cd called the table of nonsense now the table of nonsense was the first real focus one similar to to what i'm doing now where it's actually a focus project where it was 40 saying let's all just actually sit down and make a full album and uh it was all done in his folks basement and uh what was ill about that just to kind of give him another testament of how sick he is we recorded i would say 70 percent of that album on beats that are not the beats that are on that at all just the same drum patterns then we would leave for the night and he'd be like okay later guys and he would end up remaking the whole things and they ended up being way better than what we originally recorded on that's how sick he was wow. with it. and like just taking chances and doing different things i mean i can make a whole podcast out of the crazy stuff that he used to do but uh yeah table of nonsense was the next thing out and then uh trey came home and when trey came home he was just super motivated and he ended up saying burn these on CDs and I'm going to sell them to anybody and everybody that I could possibly get them to. And I like, I know that he burnt over 90,000 copies of those CDs and every one of those copies were sold. He burnt them like everywhere uh, from Vancouver to Halifax. He couldn't cross the border, but everywhere across Canada, he had it in people's hands. And that's when the reputation started building. And like that guy was just hand to hand killing it. And, you know, on behalf of him, if there's anyone that knows me out in Saskatchewan, it's because of a guy like Trey. So Hmm. yeah, that's kind of how empire got its, its reputation. It was either the battles in the streets, the fights in the streets or the hustle across country. So what was those times like recording that album, like the table of nonsense, because in the description you say like, you know, uh, nothing, you know, the description that you said is nothing I can think of would properly describe the mind state and the vibe that goes along with this album. Nine rappers, three producers, 14 records that became the soundtrack to one of the best years of my life. It was, <laughs> it was insane. Like, uh, they end up buying a loft, um, not too far from the area that we're all from. And, uh, who ended up buying a loft? So it was, uh, Pill, who was yeah. originally one of the producers there and he let 40 Bibber work out of there and, he honestly let anybody stay there 
that wanted to. So he would wake up and there'd be pure strangers in the house. We would all stay there for weeks on then, you know, if not, none of our family saw us at all. And it was all just so that you could run a beat and write whenever you wanted to. We would go out and try to make money and do our hustles and then come inside and just record all night long. There was parties every night. We had a hot tub. It was just, imagine a bunch of like 17, 18 to 20 year olds just doing anything they wanted to do and having a house to do whatever you wanted to do. Yet every one of us only all cared about rap. So all of us were just like recording all the time. We had parties and drugs and just, it was insane. It was just the insane. One day I came into the house and uh, one of the guys there was eating spaghetti out of his hat. And I just like, what? I was just, that's when I was just like, I got to change my life. And, and as soon as I looked at him, he goes, where's, where's the bulls guy? And I was just like, okay, I got to get out of here. He was just eating spaghetti out of it. Like, that's how insane that place was. And anybody that knows Empire from those days will test. Will be what was, the pla- was there a name for the place or um, no? Honestly, I was yeah. just, yeah, it was just a loft. That's all we called it. And honestly, okay. I don't know what happened. None of us had watches or there was no cell phones really at those times. So unless yeah. you had a pager, you didn't know if it was 3 in the morning, 3 p.m. You had no idea. We literally have to leave check if it was bright outside and come back and tell everyone else like no the sun's still up You're there's good. no windows in there or? no the yeah. loft was all blocked it was weird yeah. man it was insane like you it was crazy man that place is nuts yeah so that was released in uh 2003 the yeah. table of nonsense and then but then the next one empire get it didn't come out until 2009 so there's a huge gap in between that time what was going on in, in for you, sure so uh well for myself yeah. um I, I always wanted like like i said um being a solo artist always scared me because I wasn't ready to do that at all. I didn't feel like I had enough to present. So I always wanted to keep the group together. That was my main thing. So I tried hard to be the glue. And when you have that many males, you know, that's a lot of alpha. That's a lot of pride, a lot of egos. These guys were clashing all the time. You know, I was just trying to hold things together. Guys were in and out of jail. Uh, we were trying different things separately, trying to see different things that worked. You know, Scandals was really on his battle stuff too. And then... Uh, yeah, man, it was, uh, uh, 40 ended up doing other stuff with, like, I think at that time he got into working with Chaos and Jellystone, so he kind of distanced a little bit. Uh, we started messing with Arithmetic, who was a sick producer, and, uh, yeah, so we were just kind of trying to find our place. That's when the SARS movement really started, so in between then, we ended up trying to bridge not just the Empire, but we were, uh, you know, trying to bridge the city, so, you know, which is insane, too, because if you think about those times, there was a lot of problems in the streets, so... You know, Trey was going out of his way to put on shows where you would have guys from Jane and Finch and from Jungle and from Regent and from everywhere across the city who had trouble with each other and then throw on parties. And, like, there was nothing but madness happening in those times. We were all just kids, you know, rowdy and stuff. And uh, so it was just a wild time, really. That's the only way I can describe it. There's a lot of uh, non-focusing happening and, like, guys just having their own ideas of what was best. So it took a long time for us to get our stuff together and say we need to put t- together something that's solid um, because the, the Table of Nonsense was actually rated pretty well. Like, I know listening back to it now, it's not it's not going to blow your mind in any sense, but when it dropped, there wasn't a lot of people rhyming like that. There wasn't. And, like, I'm not a guy that's going to get super braggadocious about anything, but if you can ask anyone at that time, there wasn't anybody coming with punchlines like that there wasn't guys that were you know in your face battling like that this is before eight mile this is before people really were you know on that level and what we did was we kind of tried to bridge you know that that not mainstream but like you know that cameron era of just you know those hard rhymes and then you would have that underground vibe to it so we were trying to be that middle ground to it without really speaking about it but that's what we were doing and like we were kind of cementing that in and we were trying to present that to as many people as possible so 
you know, it was it was a, it was a hard thing to do. And with that many people, it was nuts. We started adding members after members after members. There was at one point there must have been like sixty two members of Empire. I didn't know half of them. You know what I mean? So it was crazy. But mm. uh, finally, we got get it together. And what happened at that point is you can always tell the difference in an album when there's uh, cohesion and there's there's uh, when it's focused and when it's just placed together. And like you can see that in almost any album from any group. Like um, the only one that I can give credit to is like 36 Chambers from Wu Tang. I was told that they didn't actually record it together. They all came in in pieces. And that's how good RZA did by giving that thing a feel. The Table of Nonsense has a feel because we were partying every day together. We were getting in fights with other people together, so we were brothers. By the time Get It came out, we just happened to be people who knew each other, and we were holding on to it as much as we like possibly could. Anytime you get in a room with more than two people, there's going to be some sort of clash. So when you have that many numbers with that many people with other things going on in their lives, by the time Get It came out, it was already towards the end of its run. So that was what, 2009, 2010? 2009, yeah. So yeah, we, we put that out. It kind of didn't you know, go over. Uh, we had a lot of interest. People were talking about you know, putting us across Canada on a tour. But then you got to think about the numbers and all that stuff. It was insane. You know, like it, was, it was a thing that was never going to get off the ground. And you know, I think guys like Bibber knew that beforehand. That's kind of why they jumped out and uh it's something that i never wanted to get rid of like uh that was you know that was what i came to do i didn't ever want to be a bust of rhymes i always wanted to be a spliff star i always wanted to be flavor i never wanted to be chuck i always wanted to be that other guy you saw so it would hurt me to never see that fall apart that was something that i always wanted to go with. if it still went to this because you relied on that group dynamic and yeah. like those guys yeah. taught me everything i knew you know what i mean from shortcut all the way to, to trey and, and tech Everything I know as far as rhymes go, that comes from that era. These guys, you know, we taught each other. It was all steel, sharp and steel kind of thing. And yeah, those guys, I, I got to give those guys all the credit in the world. I wouldn't have any sort of credentials, any sort of reputation in the streets if it wasn't for those guys honing my craft like that. So that was the final project of Empire. It yeah. was done in October 2009. So what happened after that then? guys just started kicking off to the point where they couldn't be in the room with each other anymore. Wow. So, like, yeah, exactly. And Drama. I, yeah, it is. Uh, tons, tons. And then at that point, you know, some of them have, like, daughters at that point. There's no point in, in guys going to jail over people trying to rhyme together. Then you start to have to really check. What are you really trying to do? It's music. You know what I mean? If it's not going to be a good time, if it's not going to be something positive, then, then you got to just let it go. And mm -hmm. as much as it hurt me, I didn't have any place after it was done. That was the end of my run. I figured, okay, if Empire doesn't work, there's no reason for me to continue with this. So I kind of put a little pause in my career at that point. And uh, I got a call from uh, Soze, who uh, was saying that he has not another group for me to run with, but he had a little label rolling. And he's like, if you want to come out and do some solo stuff, you can. And I tried it, and I wasn't really good at it. You know, I put out a couple of songs there uh, with them. And uh, I, it just wasn't having it. And then that kind of fully showed me that maybe this is the end of my run music-wise. Like, that was my last little chance at it. Um, I say it actually in the new album that I have coming out. There's a line where I talk about I went to Vegas, and my test was is when I come back from Vegas, if I still don't love the music like I used to, then I'm done with it. And I came home and I washed my hands of it. I got rid of, like, I spent the whole summer where I was just like, get a job, do something with your life. You know, maybe raise a family, and that's that's pretty much it. If anybody asks what you used to do, you can tell them if you want to, but no one's going to care about you in about a year and a half, and I was done. And that's that's pretty much the end of my run at that point. 
It wasn't until... Was that a low point or no? Oh, yeah. And yeah. I mean, personally, I was not just because of the Empire thing. The Empire thing all coincided with it. At that time, I started drinking really heavily. So, like, I went from... You know, I mean, those days when we were partying, we were all partying. We were drinking. But that's like, you know, you drink a Mickey and a half, you know, and then you go out to the club and you drink or whatever. Like, people regularly do, I guess. And then by the time, like, I would say... The, um, the Made Men, uh, not Made Men Music, sorry. Made Men is something I ran with before. Um, Mosaic Music, which was Soze's run. When that was all finished, by that point, I was polishing a 40 a jack before I would wake up and, like, I would go to work or I would go on my day after a 40 ounce of, of whiskey because I could drink that much. I ended up dating a girl in between that. This is going to turn into a psychology. No, I'm going to keep going. <laughs> but I, I, yeah. I, 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 um, I dated a girl in between that. And as much as I come up from a neighborhood which are all hard drinkers, like all my boys can drink, is very not to, bra- to brag about it, but they're heavy drinkers. Like I'm a heavy drinker and I can kind of hang with them. They're all heavy drinkers. I end up meeting a girl at one of my low points in my life who was a severe alcoholic. Like she could polished alcohol like when i could drink a 26 or she could drink a 40 ounce of liquor so i ended up having to boost my tolerance to hang with her so from then it was a wrap at that point if you ever saw me i had a bottle of alcohol with me at all times and like that era is like i don't know the years behind that but whenever uh the made man music project not made Man, um, mosaic music project came out i was absolutely wasted all the time and like alcohol uh, turned to um, like because if at the t- I tried to hold down jobs in between, so what I was doing was I was taking a lot of Advil to get rid of my headache in the morning, and then I ended up having to take like let's say four Advil to get rid of the headache. So instead of taking four Advil, I said, okay, let me just take two T3s, and I would take two T3s, and I was like, okay, that's not after a while your tolerance builds. So I would take instead of two T3s, I would take three perks, and then after perks hit, you end up taking oxys, and it just keeps going and going and going. So I ended up billing. Uh, not only an addiction to alcohol, but I was now on pills and not to the point where I was like, I needed to find a dealer or I'll strangle someone, but it was to the point where I could see that, you know, my day was going to be a lot worse if I never got them. And that point is when I was like done with music. I was just finished. I guess I cared more about getting drunk and getting messed up or I didn't really care about life too much. So at that point, I was kind of just done with everything. And that's when I was pretty much washing my hands with music. You see this pair of new ends? Scuff them. Who cares? Fuck them. My current rotation is two wins. Chuck them. But don't assume my sanity improves with my vanity. Rather be in debt with no shoes, feeling hassle-free, living in the fog and hidden and forgotten. Best part about the bottom of the barrel is the bottom where the fallen are accepted. The problems are expected. But who'd have thought avoiding stardom's just detected? All I do is... Kill it till it haunt another skeptic. If solitude was really what I wanted, I'd have kept it because the pressure set the limit. I was gonna actually ask you about the alcohol because I didn't mm. see a, like a video clip of you speaking at the forgiveness project, yeah. Uh, Tara's thing, and uh, you, you were saying that like you took it on as your identity. Like, first of all, uh, you need to be social, you need to be around people, mm-hmm. that's one thing, and then uh obviously when you're around people and they're going out or whatever everybody drinks and then you kind of took on the identity of being the guy who always had a drink in his hand and the, can you tell me a little bit more about that yeah for sure yeah, because yeah. i guess uh you know when i was young and super into music all i cared about was you know are my rhymes getting that attention that i needed and uh this is all looking back and i don't think i noticed it at the time but i and i got that respect and i got that attention that i needed but after a while, with the Empire thing being done, I didn't think I could ever get that love back on a solo tip. 
So the one thing that kind of brought me that attention was, hey, Adam's always hilariously smashed or he's always going to bring a bottle and we're going to have a good time or I could at least get you a smash so that we could have a crazy time together and we'll hang out again. And at the same time, like you said, I couldn't be by myself. You couldn't leave me in a room by myself because you don't. I don't know what I would do. Even to this day, I don't like to stay by myself. I like to stay in company at all times because my mind races. And if I do anything that makes my mind race more, there's no telling what I'll do. So I really have to make sure that I, I kind of structure myself as much as possible. So, uh, yeah, I was uh, – I ended up – it was almost like a, a cartoon of myself. I remember uh, I went to uh, – I can't remember where we went to. We went to a party, I think, out in Wasega or something like that, and there was a bunch of cameras around for people filming DVDs. Remember when DVDs were the biggest things in the world? So there was like four people filming DVDs, and I got so smashed that day that I threw up all over the place. And uh, I remember when it was done the next day, they're like, yo, there's like four – things taping you there i remember realizing that doesn't matter because that's who i am you know what i mean and it would actually help my reputation by being the guy who gets caught throwing up in the background it would just solidify it even more and i realized that at that point i was pretty much a cartoon of myself where i don't even care about my own health because i'm just here to amuse people you know what i mean Mm -hmm. and uh yeah, so not to get too dark or too dim about it, but that's what it was. I, I I'm I have an addictive personality to the fullest anyhow. And I mean, as bad as it is and as unhealthy as it can get, it also is the reason why I will work on an album until I'm sure that I'm really happy with it. It's also the reason why I will work for 20 hours straight without eating to make sure that something's done properly. Whatever, you know, is as bad as it is on some sides, it also has its positive sides that that drives me to the point where I I do pull off good things so i can't really uh ever say i want to get rid of that side of me but uh yeah that's that's basically where i was in my life at that point and uh yeah that's i was i was doing basically anything and everything to kind of either get off this earth or if i happened to die from it i could care less if i did so that's that's pretty much my low point at that point Mm -hmm. so like are you still taking on that identity are you still going that hard in terms of the alcohol or are you Um, trying to control it or no yeah so what i did was i kind of uh I started taking the steps backwards from it. So what I was doing was I was kind of weaning myself off of pills and I got I got back down to T3s and then I got back down to Perks and I got back down to Advils to the point where I don't really mess with them no more. So you know what I mean? I'm not saying that I was as far in as a lot of people are, so it's not as simple as that. I can't say that it's a one-step program. All you have to do is go backwards. I know that I kind of cut that before I got as bad as some people get, but I could definitely see me being somebody that would be on that level. So I had to stop myself before then. As far as alcohol, I still drink, I would say as much as, as the average person, if not a little bit more, but I'm not to the point where you'll always see me with a bottle today. I have no bottle with me. You know what I mean? I didn't drink it all today. I drank a little today, but, uh, so, uh, yeah, I'm not as bad as I was, but yeah, I'm I'm definitely a lot better off. I'm a lot happier than I was too. Mm -hmm. So yeah, for sure. Um, and I guess that all comes out in the music as well. Okay, yeah. so uh, where is Waste of Talent? Because uh, I was released uh, in 2011. Where is that at, like in terms so, of the timeline? Okay, right so... Um, is that, yeah. a- is that uh, after or before so, the episode? Right, uh, yeah. in, right after uh, the Mosaic music fell apart, I started uh, you know, messing with Sprox, trying to just get a couple of songs together. Anything I recorded in that time, it was either for Sprox or it's just songs that happened to be compiled at his studio i just happened to have enough that was there that we could make that album and we happened to get a grant for it that's the only reason why that really came out and uh i could care less about it when it dropped out i was just like yeah if people get it they get it 
I don't care. Um, I was already washing my hands with music at that point. So whatever that era was, so if that was like from 2000, and I would say Empire Fell Apart 2010, Waste of Talent came out 2011, that was pretty much the year of getting destroyed. And then um, after Waste of Talent was out, and, uh, you know, I got some love, but, you know, I was just like, okay, cool. You know, it was just something I didn't really care about, so I didn't expect much in return from it. Did a couple of shows here and there. Started getting a lot of, like, feature requests and stuff like that. And I was like, I could run off of this. I can pay my rent off of features, but I wasn't happy with any of the music I was working with. Uh, when you do features at that level, it's always like a 50-50 split. Some of it is good. Other of it is horrible, and you don't want to attach your name to it. But I could see why some people do it, and I could really just you know, drag my career into dirt if I really wanted to and just take on anybody who's willing to pay a couple of 500 400 bucks for verses. And I didn't really like the feeling of it, uh, so I was really kind of just washing my hands of it, and that's kind of where I got to that point. And that's right after Waste of Town, so like 2012, I would say. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 2012 was basically when I took the trip to Vegas. That's exactly, that actually works out well. I was always trying to piece this in my head. Thank you, Chetto. That worked out <laughs> nicely. Yeah. Now I figured out where it all went wrong. So yeah, 2012 was basically when I went to Vegas and said, okay, I'm done. And then uh, I got a call when I got back from that summer and I kind of stopped doing music. I found a job and stuff. And then uh, I got a call from uh, Brian, Brian Espiritu from Legends League. And then about three days later, I got a call from Sprocks, and both of them were saying, hey, I want you a part of something. And I was just like, I don't know if you know this, but I don't make music anymore, but what are you doing? And for Brian, I'll do anything because, you know, I've always, I saw his story and I knew that this guy's a creative genius. Legends League is insane. If you don't know about it, check it out. Legends League is a crazy brand. So uh, he... um, he was like, this is what I want to do. Uh, originally, he wanted to just put together this clothing line and hand out some CDs that had some instrumentals on the CDs that kind of coincide with the brand. And that was the original plan. It wasn't until he came to Rich for those beats that Rich said, what do you think about getting guys to rhyme on it too? And then he's like, who are you thinking? And then he said, Tona and Adam. And when he said that, he goes, okay, I can mess with that. Get them on the phone. So they they gave me that call. And I was like, Tona, huh? all right. I'm down to do it. Let me just think about it, and and I'll come and meet you. And then a couple of days later, Sprocks calls me and says, I have this idea about putting together some of the guys that record at my studio. I go, who is it? And he said, Tona. I go, Tona again. I was like, Tona's everywhere. So, yeah, I was like, okay, Tona and who? And he goes, Theo 3 and Frankie Payne and Mathematic and uh, Progress. And I was just like, you know, I'm a fan of Mathematic is somebody I grew up on listening to when I got heavily into Toronto music. And Theo 3, I grew up neck and neck with, and I always respected his bars. Tona is somebody that I think is, you know, will destroy anybody. So I was like, yo, this is like that. I had that empire feeling again where I was like, yo, I'm a part of two different things. Can I do this? And uh, I remember I always test myself. I always give these these little signs to myself where I'm just like, I'm going to try this. And if it flops, I'm out. So I told Brian, uh, I didn't tell him that this was the idea, but when he told me the idea of the concept, he says, he gave me the beats. I remember taking the first beat I found, which is a beat called The End, and I said, I'm going to write to this, and I'm going to record this. If it comes out trash or if I don't feel like it's good, I'm walking away. And I'm, that was the first thing we recorded for NBS, which ended up being the intro to NBS. And I recorded it, and I remember when it was done, I was like, no, nah, this is what I need to do. This is what I need to do. So I, I ended up sticking with it. I called Sprocks back and said, yeah, I'm in. Put me in Freedom Riders. So Freedom Riders ended up being that super group. Naturally Born Strangers ended up being the group of Brian B. and Legends League. And I recorded both of those albums at the same time. And I went from honestly quitting to never writing more in my life within a couple of weeks. 
and yeah we ended up just just chefing up music and and i never felt i never felt that feeling as much as i did then and i mean i was still drinking pretty pretty heavily but it took a lot of that a lot of that burden that i had where i wasn't giving a shit about life anymore you're being productive yeah and it gave me a purpose and that's when i realized that that's the one thing that keeps me going is having a reason to wake up and have something to do and as silly as it sounds you know making music seems like a silly thing to do there should be something more than that to life that was the thing i needed at that time and they they not only saved the career they saved my life there yeah you needed a meaning to justify the suffering a hundred percent and i feel i I think like everything i would have did beforehand would have been a waste complete waste like it's a disrespect to the people that I grew up with that's, that gave me a shot, that showed up to shows where I only had two people in the crowd if I just quit at that time. You know, it's a disrespect to people that paid for those, you know, $400 features to just say, ah, you know, I'm done whenever I feel like doing it. So I felt like, you know what, I got to keep doing this. It felt right to go and do. And then it turned out that that ended up winning a Juno and the Freedom Riders was really well received. And we ended up going to the MMVAs and we ended up doing the Sirius XM Awards. And it just, everything, I realized how much stuff I would have missed out on. Not that I really, you know, care so much about awards, but it's a good acknowledgement for people on the outside to say, hey, this guy did something with himself. You know what I mean? As much as it felt nice to, to win it, it's more for other people to say, okay, I, I understand what this guy does. I realized how much I would have missed if I would have just stopped. You know what I mean? So I think that I thank both of those guys for for saving my life and my my career for for making those calls because I could have easily stopped, for sure. So we gotta talk about Juno Award winning night because uh, I was there. Yeah, yeah yes, and, you were. And uh, t- this is 2015, Hamilton, Ontario. Uh, Naturally Born Strangers is nominated for Rap Recording of the Year. Yeah. Uh, so you gotta tell me about that. Like, first of all, maybe the nomination and then winning and like and what happened yeah i mean when they they gave me the list of the people that we were up against i was like okay that's cool i mean if they nominate us that's that's wicked i mean it was really supposed to be like i said just a mixtape about clothes so not about clothes but for the clothing line so the clothing line that was the concept the the expectations weren't high whatsoever and as soon as i heard socrates was on the list as soon as i heard uh Marco Polo was on the list. As soon as I heard um, Trey Missions was there, I was like, these guys are all doing real big. I think P-Rain was part of that, I think. uh, I think or no? Can't remember who the other one was. There was somebody else on the list. I'm sorry for who it was. I believe it was P-Rain. I believe it was P-Rain. Yeah, it might have been. And as soon as I heard those, those guys were all guys that were doing internationally big moves and just, you know, they're all reputable names. So I was like, hey, it's it's, as corny as it sounds, like it's just an honor to be nominated kind of thing. That's exactly what I felt. I was just like, hey, man, if we get put up in a category with them, Let's just go out to this to this bar and we'll we'll get some drinks in us and we'll have a good night. We'll laugh it off when Socrates is up there for his award. That's basically all we were there to do. To the point where me and Tona showed up not caring at all. Like we I was dressed like a country star. He was dressed in something <laughs> like he found in a, in a hamper. Yeah, like neither of us cared at all. Not that I'm a fashionable guy, but yeah, we were uh, we showed up not thinking that anybody cared about us. We were just going to be a name that people clap for for about eight seconds when they moved on to the next nomination. And uh, we got absolutely smashed at that table that night because I had no idea that it's complimentary drinks. That so they the waitress came over and she was like. Uh, what do you guys want to drink? And we're like, ah, oh, we'll just drink these wines that are sitting on the table here. And she goes, you guys don't want any anything else? We're like, you know what? Get us a couple of beers. How much is it for some some MGDs or something? She goes, no, everything's on the house. And me and Tona just kind of looked at each other like, oh, this is the end of that. And if you know about the rap award, it's way at the end. We were looking at the little flyer there, and I was like, oh, this is going to be a long night. So by the time we get to our category, we're demolished out of our heads. And uh, 
Yeah, I was like, okay, well, we're not winning anyhow, so who cares? Let's just get smashed and go party outside in the streets. And I remember when she said, you know, and the winner is, it's super slow motion. It is, because she said nationally born strangers. But as soon as she said, nah, my head just cycled through all the, the nominees. And I was like, none of them start with, nah, this has got to be us. And as soon as I just I just looked at Tone, I go, yeah, I think this is us. And yeah, we, uh, she said nationally born strangers. We ran up on the stage. And yeah, that was crazy, man. It was an insane Tell me moment. Th- the moment when she said naturally born strangers. Because Tono said... Uh, like, cause you guys are drinking. He said, as soon as he heard it, he like it was the fastest sobering, sobering moment. You got sober and like, boom, hundred percent. Yeah. So like, if you've ever been arrested while smashed, you get a feeling where your body just numbs itself, and they're like, you got to straighten up right now, cause this is something. That same feeling happened. So like, I, as soon as she said it, it was a, you better get, you better get right right now, because this is something you're gonna have to say something on the mic, or you're gonna look stupid when you fall up these stairs. So just sober up real quick. So yeah, I, I remember shaking it off and like, all right, let's go do this, and. What happened was I was just sober enough to do my little speech on the stage, and then I thought, okay, you exit right and you're done, and then you go down the stairs and you go to drink more. No, you don't. You go in the back and you talk to 28 people from the media, and your head starts drinking again, and you're like, oh, okay, here's some beers, some complimentary champagne, and then you're done, and you have to do 20 interviews, and you just mumble on about nonsense. And I'm like, hey, guys, you like coffee? And yeah, it's messed up. But yeah, it was a good night, though, man. I met a lot of people there, and shoot, we had some of the, uh, the party afterward was nuts. Because it was in Hamilton, uh, and I got guys that I guess are just the best guys in the world, as soon as we won, they all hopped in their cars and they flew down to Hamilton from Toronto because nobody thought we were going to win. And they flew down there, and we ended up just partying in, in, in the Hamilton clubs like, I don't know, like 40, 50, 14, 15 deep. Just got smashed, and it was just, yeah, it was so a beautiful night. Winning a Juno is the highest achievement in Canadian, you know, music. It's the Grammys, you mm-hmm. know what I mean, for us, right? In Canada, it's yeah. like a, uh, an amazing accomplishment. Uh, so, what did that mean for you, Adam Bomb? You know what I mean? Like, I remember I kind of made fun of you, like when I was, I'm like, I'm, I'm like, are <laughs> people gonna be mad at you, Adam Bomb, because you won an award? You're like. <laughs> That guy Adam Bomb doesn't deserve it, like you know, because you were, you know, didn't release any solo music like that. You're a part of groups or whatever, and like yeah. there have been a lot of uh, Canadian rappers who deservedly, like who maybe might have deserved it, but like been bitter yeah. or like pissed off at the Juniors or whatever. But uh, like, what did that mean for you? I don't, I don't yeah. knock them whatsoever. If anyone would have said like, yeah. Nah, man, not you, I would have been like, You're a hundred percent right. Somebody yeah. else should have been here instead of me. <laughs> and I mean, for a guy who never really took it serious for as long as I did. And you know, it was such a it was such a crazy like honor. And like I said, it, it's um, winning an award is is a crazy thing because especially when it's something that people understand. Like, you know, if I say to you know, let's say my aunt, I got a serious XM award. She's like, oh, good for you. What do you want for dinner? And then that that's the end of the conversation. But if you say Juno, she's like, I know what that is. I can tell my people at work that my nephew won, you know, a Juno because I know what that is. So like I said, it's more for the outside people, but it gave me a lot of pride just because now I could say to them, you can tell your coworkers that your nephew's not a complete piece of garbage because he's actually done something in his life. At that point, it's actually a, is a, what's it called? Like a double-edged sword kind of thing where as much as I loved it, it almost put a stamp on it where you're like, you can stop now. And I didn't like that because it kind of gave me, it kind of drained my motivation a little bit because it's mm. not that I was always aiming to hit an award but once you get rewarded for something like that it almost makes you say well even if you stop now or even if something else flops who cares you, you got acknowledged you're in the history books they can't take you're it on away Wikipedia from you forever exactly <laughs> but you know what um since then I, i've kind of tried to top myself my new model now is is there's a line from ag that i wake up for now this is the line where he says uh from top 10 to top five to top three 
Nowadays, I'm just trying to top me. And that's honestly my whole goal now. I don't really care to compete. I don't care about who's hot, who's not, what's ill on the scene right now, what the fad is right now. I'm just trying to do as good, if not better, than I used to. And that's the only thing I do now. So, you know, Juno or no Juno, I'm, I'm just here to stay sharp. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what is going on with Naturally Born Strangers right now? Give me mm-hmm. the real. Like it's been like uh, you you know you won a Juno 2015. You guys should have followed up for it. Like what's what's the hold up? I mean the first one was yeah. already kind of mismanaged to the point where like you know we were up against pretty big pretty big guys. So we should have had our stuff together. But us not thinking that it was going to go anywhere, we never put our ducks in a row where we were going to set up a tour or set up you know merchandise or set up another project right away. When we went to go film for the first video, we went to Jamaica to film No One Knows My Struggle. They asked us in the van, and they're like, are you down for another one? And I was like, you know me, bro. I love the group idea. I was like, it makes me work less. So I was like, yeah, hell yes. Let's do another one right away. I was like, what are you guys thinking? And they all kind of looked at me, and they're like, well, I could take it or leave. And if it happens, it happens. This is all before the Juno. This is you know just when the project was wrapping up. And they were like, ah, we'll see how it goes. Maybe we'll do another Naturally Born Strangers, but three more people. So not you three guys. It might be another three guys. So I was like a little bit hurt about it, but I was like, you know what? You can't hold on to everything. I learned my lesson with Empire. You can't you can't trust that things are going to last forever, especially with dealing with that many people. So um, I was kind of okay with washing my hands with it, but deep down I wanted it to go again. And then we won the Juno, and then that's when all the phone calls came in. Like, yo, what do you guys think about doing this again? And I was like, Hell yes, let's do this again. So uh, when we got together again, we end up killing records. Like, you know, I, I, I sometimes it take a little bit long to write, but I'm getting a lot faster now. And uh, I never wrote so fast in my life. Like the 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 we done, must have did thirty records, thirty five records in the first I don't know two three weeks. It was just stacked full of music, and the music that's there to me, in my opinion, is way better than the first one. Way better on all levels. So I was super pumped for it. And this is now 2015, 2016, let's say, starting off. We already had about 30 records all ready to go. But, you know, with anything, you got to get everybody in the same basket. And when you're dealing with the people that we're dealing with, we're not just dealing with, you know, three rappers that just want to put out good verses. We're dealing with guys who want to make this an international thing. You're trying to compete with the guys who are doing doing it at the top level and you're also dealing with guys like brian b who have to uh input their brand decisions as well you're messing with somebody's brand that they've developed over decades of time so you can't just say let's put this out and see how it goes you're now affiliated with them so there's a lot of it's a lot of rules a lot of you know steps you got to take and you know when you get five guys in a room like i said egos are going to clash ideas are going to clash and and it's not that guys kick off we're pretty actually pretty cool when it comes to it you know i thought guys would be a lot more a lot more egotistical they're not you know especially when it comes to the artists if you leave me rich and tone in a room together we'll make an album in two days no question like i know those guys like that they're dope but when you add the business around it and the smart decisions that people have to make because honestly if i could make them myself i wouldn't need a manager and you would we'd both be uh, at the grammys together now chetto so you know what i mean obviously i don't know what i'm doing all the time business-wise so i have to put that trust into other people now the problem with that is when you trust your career in other people's hands, they have to be as motivated as you are or they have to be as into what you're doing as you are and they can't have other things that they're also interested in. And when you have guys who, one guys have their own clothing line, you have Rich's representation who have other people that they also have to represent, things fall apart real easily. It's not that it's broken, but uh, I think it's still ready to go. I mean, if they want to put those 30 records out or some of those 30 records out, 
we still got a solid, solid, solid album. If they want to record another 30, I'll be the first guy in line to do it again. Okay, so even though you have 30 records out, doesn't mean there's a finished product here. No, no, oh. no. And I, I cannot tell you that there's a full album done. But okay. And that's kind of the long answer there. But basically all I'm saying is, you know, anybody that works with a group of people knows it's, it's a tough deal. It's a tough deal to, to get everybody on board. And when, when you're dealing with people's reputations, it's even harder. So what we want to do is we want to make it interesting. We want to make it new and fresh. And uh, we want we want to definitely top ourselves from the first time. So we got to make sure that everybody's on board and everyone has the same uh, you know ideas. Because if you go in four different directions, it's not going to go anywhere whatsoever. So we got to kind of you know regroup, and we will in the next couple of weeks. I have my first album done. You know, Tone is always going to be doing projects, but he's ready to refocus. So I think when me, Rich, and Tona finally touch down and 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 regroup it's going to be on and when it's nbs season i'm telling you the second time around it's not going to be like the first where we let things slide it's going to be full-on tilt and then uh then we'll definitely be sipping more champagne <laughs> so let's talk about this album right here like that's out uh that's gonna be out yep. uh live from larstone what do you want people to get from this project i mean just just get that i gave it my all this time man for a guy who's who's spent way too long to do something for the first time at this age you know what i mean um i put i put a lot into it um the there's two albums actually that i finished already so i have four albums on the go to the nbs album i have another freedom writers album as a sequel to that i have another album in the bag called on the road to riches and rehab that are produced by a bunch of people and live from larstone is all produced by sprox the reason i put that first is because sprox sprox and i have sort of that that history where i feel like if i don't let him get that first step in then I'm not going to represent myself properly. I have to make sure that it's a thing that me and Sprox do together first. And uh, it's a solid project, man. I hope people like it, man. I touch on everything that I regularly touch on over the course of my career. I touch on everything on that album. So, yeah, I mean, if you like anything that I've done, it's all on there. What are some of the themes that you're touching on? Uh, man, we got there's, there's story records on there. I talk about, uh, you know, uh, there's, um, so, I mean, there's so much stuff. What's there's, nowhere to run to about? Nowhere to run to is uh, is basically um, having all the success in the world and still not being happy with yourself. And you, you need to still have your, that purpose, right? And like basically what that is is like I got all these shoes in my room and there's nowhere to run to. So it's basically you can have everything. You can have the world at your feet, but none of it makes any difference if you're not happy. So that's basically that record. And I mean, every, the, it goes from everything from ignorance to uh, to introspective stuff. So it's it's everything that I've ever done on my projects, all in one album. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then Sister Bessie is like, you, like you're struggling or challenging religion? I mean, yeah. yeah. So along, along the course of my career, I did a song called Canada Sucks. And that one got a lot of a lot of flack, but a lot of love because I actually was one of the first people to to speak about how the industry is not what it should be, and that we need to kind of step up and acknowledge the talent that we have here. Sister Bessie was probably the only thing I could think of that would top Canada Sucks as far as flack that I'll get from it. So what it is is somebody who is basically questioning God and what His purpose is. The whole the whole point of the song is, if I had to break it down, is basically. Um, you can't accept the credit and not expect the blame. That's basically it. And that's something that everybody struggles with when, when it comes to religion. You know, whatever it is that makes you wake up in the morning, if you believe it full and wholeheartedly, I got your back on that. But my whole purpose was, is not that you don't exist, is that if you do exist, what's going on out here? How are kids dying out here? How are things the way they are if you're out there? Because if you get to get all the credit when 
when the world is, is sunny and happy, then you also get the the blame when when things are falling apart. So, you know, uh, it's three verses of a lot to think about, and there's a video behind it too. And um, yeah, it's it's smack dab in the middle of that album, and it's a, it's it's one of the big ones on there. Sister Bessie's still suggesting I pray to Christ. I ask how many in the grass got the same advice. If there's a higher power, I respect his reign, but don't accept the credit and not expect the blame. Who gets the claim? All that's able while forgetting Cain, who selects the name of the victim listed next to slain, who infects the brain with pain for a newborn. How much was gained by a slave with a new song? When all the food's gone and some don't get a plate, then someone made a mistake, yet no one is saying you wrong, or is my view wrong? Should I see just the good, or just be glad for what we have, no matter what we could? Forever faithful, but I'm finished with religion, cause either you don't care, you ain't there. Which one is it? The song Canada Sucks was released <laughs> over 10 years ago and you weren't yeah. criticizing our country, Canada, like no. this is a shitty place to live. Not at all. You were criticizing the industry of like we have so much great talent here mm -hmm. and uh, people are not appreciating this. So obviously a few things have changed. Mm -hmm. uh, like, you know, I guess what would her... Uh, what would you say are like your feelings that are consistent from then over 10 years ago to now? And what do you think has changed? Uh, I mean, I, I wouldn't perform it anymore because it would probably be like people would be like, what are you talking about? But yeah, the thing is, though, is that not a lot has changed. What mm. the difference between then and now was was that, you know, the sentence was that no one from Canada can do it here. You know, the most we ever had was Maestro at the time. That sentiment has now slightly changed, too. It's not that you can't be from here. It's that you still can't do it here. And, I mean, what I've learned over those years is maybe that's not such a bad thing. Maybe this is just not the place for urban music at all. And it's sad. I love Canada. I love, I love this country, you know, and I would never want to live anywhere else. But if I grew up in... Uh, you know, uh, let's say Zimbabwe, and I was super into high fashion, I have to accept that Zimbabwe's high fashion scene is not what London's is. So if I really want to get into it, you got to move. And that's the reason why the guys who have succeeded out here are not doing it from here. That's why Bieber had to go south. That's why P. Rain had to go south. That's why Drake had to go south. Troy Lanes. This is why uh, Jazz Cartier has to go with, you know, either even if you're from here, you got to do it with an American backing because they understand the machine. And there's no machine ever being built here. And I'm not saying that it's always going to be the case. I hope it changes. For future generations, you should see how much talent there is here. If we just accepted it and appreciated it, we could have a scene like the UK does where they accept their own and they could care less what's on American radio because they have their own scene. Toronto alone should have its own scene where we don't need and Canadian Music Week should be slammed full of our people smashing up the ACC with just our acts because we have that much talent. But there's no machine here that cares for that. The Juno Awards are always going to be the night before on the Saturday. The uh, um, the radio stations are, are always going to play CanCon and they're going to play their Drake you know, because that fills up their CanCon list, but they're not here to break artists. They don't care about it. They don't care about reggae artists. They don't care about jazz artists. They don't care about, um, you know, R&B, and they don't care about rap in Canada. And you got to kind of got to accept it. It sucks. You know, it's very negative, but it sucks. But that's what it is. And uh, if you do want to do it, I'm not saying you have to move from the States. You can do it here. A guy like Classified did it here, but you got to watch what you're making. You know what I mean? Maybe what you make doesn't fit here. And um, He's a rare case, too. Very, very rare case. And I mean, he's talented as hell. And I mean, I hope it does change. I'm not trying to be negative to the point where I'm saying don't try to do it here. If you can do it, prove me wrong. But that's that's something that's still a sentiment that existed back when Canada Sucks was out. The only difference is at least now we do have some guys that people can say, 
you know, I look up to these guys, look at what they've done. And I mean, all the credit in the world to those guys who There's have hope. brought, yeah, yeah, yeah. And honestly, build it up, keep, keep going and show kids that, Hey man, you can do something with yourself off of music up here. It's not a dead end, but it just might not be in Toronto and it might not be in Canada. So what do you want from music? What do you want from this? My whole thing is is legacy over currency. I, I could care less mm. about I could care less about being, you know, a multimillionaire. I could care less about even awards and and uh, if I have enough that I can leave, if I ever have kids, uh, some money behind, that's a beautiful thing. But I'll always do what I can to support mine. I could care less about any of that. All I want to do is leave some some interest in music behind that somebody can say, you know what, nobody did it like this guy did it. And, uh, you know, if if that ends up being only the people in my neighborhood or the people that listen to this podcast, I'm still happy with that. I'm at, I'm at a point in my life where I'm satisfied no matter what happens. Mm-hmm. And what is inspiring you, Adam Bond? Just the people around me, man. I see so many people doing great things and... Uh, they still they still get sharper and sharper after all of these years. The music's getting better and better. People are, you know, I wake up happier and happier just seeing that the people around me are doing better. So that's that's what keeps me on my toes, and uh, it makes me want to want to get better every day. Hmm. Yo, Adam, yo, thank you for sharing your story. No problem. I really appreciate it and the work that you've done. And I'm ex- I'm listening to this project. And I'm excited about it. I think, I think people are going to react, man. Much and you and Sprocks are a good match, bro. Like, That's my guy. Yeah, man. And uh, is there uh, anything else? Any last thoughts that you want to leave to the people who have been with us for over an hour? <laughs> <laughs> How long I talk? Probably. Uh, I can't my see apologies. the time, but yeah. But like, what did you? What do you want to say to your fans, your supporters, the people who are, uh, you know, are just discovering you for the first time? I mean, for the people that have been around, th- thanks for sticking with me. You know what I mean? I appreciate all the support, all the love, all the uh, the motivation over the years. And the people that haven't heard about me yet, I hope you hear about me soon. And when you do, tell a friend because uh, I'm going to be back and uh, I'm going to keep getting bigger and better every year. And uh, just hopefully you love the stuff that I drop because it's not going to stop from here. Yo, I'm really excited. This is your first solo project. You actually did it. Mm-hmm. Finished. It's beautiful. And I, ha- I hope you get inspired from the feedback that people give you, Adam Bomb. Thank yes, you, sir. man. Thank Appreciate you. Appreciate it. Yo, what did you think of my interview with Adam Bomb on the Come Up Show podcast? We went through some gems, some classic stories, and we're going to be making fun of him for that rap name, Kadabra, that he picked out. Uh, this is your first time listening to the Come Up Show podcast. Make sure you check out our previous interviews. From Wyclef Jean to Skepta to Manny Fresh to Tona, Rich Kitaznada, we got out all hundreds of episodes that I know you'll be interested in. Each and every Wednesday, a brand new interview on the Come Up Show podcast. Subscribe right now. We're on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud. All the information is in the podcast description. My name is Chetto. Thank you for listening. I'll catch you on next Wednesday. Peace. Peace.